Blog Talk Radio. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Callan Stampede is brought to you by The Wind Up Shop. For all your audio, studio, and mixing needs, check out The Wind Up Shop. Go to www.facebook.com backslash The Wind Up Shop. Jay Mafali, the engineer and proprietor. And now, Ready to Unload number 161. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're tonight's entertainment. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Johnny and the mothers are playing something at the Savoy in Vermont tonight. Vermont's gonna kill my brother at the Savoy Theater tonight. I didn't say that. No, but I know this grapevine. Why would I put it there? Kindness? 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 You stole it! He stole it! We have top men working on it right now. Ooh. Top men. Hello there, and welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, New York Sports Talk Podcast, episode number 100, and Backman Okendo. No, Backman Mookie Wilson. 100 and Backman Wilson, coming to you live from Comac, New York, Bayside, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey, eventually. It's the Ready to Unload radio show podcast. It's not really a radio show anymore, it's a podcast. It is Thursday night. It is 9.30 p.m. It is time for Ready to Unload with Callan Stampede. I am Sam Pete. Welcome to the show. Hi. Episode number 161. 100 and Backman Wilson. 100 and Sanchez Mike Nugent. It's, uh, it's a great radio program. We have a huge show tonight. We have a great show. We're going to be joined once again by the Justin Timberlake of RTU, Mr. Joe Caparozzo. From TurnOnTheJets.com, from TheWhistle.com. Uh, this is a podcast literally months in the making. It is uh, going to be a delight. We're going to talk about the 2014 Jets offseason. I know, everybody's <laughs> chomping at the bit with the Super Bowl in eight days or nine days. But we are going to talk about the Super Bowl, AFC Championship game, NFC Championship game. Joe is, uh, is, is all over the place sports-wise. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. And we're finally going to talk a little bit about... Collision Low Crossers, the great book by Nicholas Dawidoff about the 2011 Jets. But it's extraordinarily topical again today. This book remains topical at all times because uh, good old Mike Benton, the Jets' old friend, is now the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So any of you Browns fans out there who want to get a good idea of who Mike Benton is, read Collision Low Crossers. So we're going to talk about that with Joe. He's going to join us in just a couple minutes. So let's get right do it for episode number 161. Thanks for joining us. And let's bring in the co-host of the program. The uh, the the yin to my yang. 
the uh, Hideki Arabu to my Tanaka. Wait a minute, that no, never mind. The Hideki Matsui to my Tanaka. No, maybe uh, he's Cal. Anyway, I don't know why I'm bringing up Japanese baseball players. Maybe because this Tanaka guy got 150 million dollars or something like that. Hi, Cal. Hi, Steve. Hi. I think it's because you brought up yin, yin and yang. That's right. And then so, you na- naturally progressed into Japanese right to, pitchers. Yeah, it took me right to Tanaka. How are you, buddy? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm good. I want to. I sort of love this theme music for you, so I wanted to play it. Because you seem melancholy. Melancholic. You have a melancholic. Oh. Oh, hello. Perhaps I should get some gel for that. Some mousse? A little product. Were you a mousse guy or a gel guy? I alternated. I think we were all mousse guys at some point. Boy, this song just keeps going. Yeah, oh, here, here they are. Here's the choir. <laughs> here they are. I did not see that coming. They were, they were just waiting for their cue. Do you travel with a choir? Yeah, they always come with me. There are, there are 35 black women behind you right now. There's one man. <laughs> one guy who can sing the crap out of it. Yeah. He has to. There he is, here. There he is. That's he has rare. to. Oh, and then there's him. And then there's Bishop. Hi, the Bishop. And then there's Maud. And then <laughs> that one, uh, that one guy in the in the big gospel choir has to be able to sing the crap out of a song. Has to, <laughs> because he's surrounded by thirty-five sassy black women, and he has to be like, what's what's the guy's name? Like Steve Harvey. He's got to be. He's got to have a huge personality. Like Matt Harvey. He's got to be like Matt Harvey. A lot like my heart. <laughs> it's a Guys, sport. I just wanted, I wanted to check in and give my apologies because I am so wrapped up in what I'm doing. I am, this is like my, my, my only time I can uh, be on the phone. I apologize. Uh, You're important, so no apologies necessary. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to miss you. We're going yeah, there... to miss you. I'm about to fade. We get it. Super Bowl. I'm working on the Super Bowl, buddy. The whole thing? What, well. What, can you do something about the weather? I mean, come uh-huh. on. Have you heard? Yeah, we're, doing two, we're doing two Super Bowl-related broadcasts, and uh, they're a little bit sticky right now. Oh? A little bit. Do tell. You know what? You know what you don't want to do? You don't want to depend on the NFL for footage. Yeah, they don't Better have that you, you should have just DVR'd the whole season and gotten the footage yourself. <laughs> Your season passed the whole season. Right. I should have P- done that, yeah. PJ showed up with his Fios cable box to work. Mm-hmm. Here, just plug this in. I, I got a whole bunch of footage. Put this right in the oven <laughs> machine. We'll be able to, be able would, to rip this off. It would have been easier to draw the season by hand. <laughs> And and more cost efficient, I might add. Although a good illustrator, difficult to come by. There's there's a lot of brilliant technology going on with the NFL, but as far as um, file transfer, they are not there yet. 
Are you doing the Super Bowl commercial show that you usually do? Yes, we are. With the luminescent Kevin Nealon. Uh, and uh, Boomer, too. Boomer, Boomer's yeah, involved. I thought Boomer Esiason was doing it this year. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boomer? Boomer's doing it. Oh, yeah, is that right? Is that right? The morning we're show? Well, we're definitely doing something with Kevin Nealon. Um, we're also doing the Super Bowl kickoff special or something. I don't know the real, I don't know the real names of anything. But they don't tell you anything, do they? <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all anagrams and initials, and I don't know what anything stands for. Why doesn't a Super Bowl kickoff show ever start with a kickoff? Like an actual, someone runs onto the field, oh. kicks the ball off, and there you go. And away because you go. we think outside the box here at Television Land. That's not outside the box. Is that? is that like a theme no. park? <laughs> Television Land? Let's go, on the, let's go on the Lucy and Desi Flume ride. Speaking of theme parks, yes, there was a very memorable photograph of you at, at I believe it was Legoland? Legoland Discovery Zone, though. Discovery Zone. It wasn't, uh, you weren't out in California? No, it wasn't full-on Legoland. No, it wasn't oh, the one in, uh, where's the one in Pennsylvania? There's, there's oh, a big one. Pennsylvania, right. Was it in the back of some guy's van? You'd rather not no, talk about the, it? <laughs> it's, the, it's the one up in Westchester. Um, it was an ice cream truck, but he said Legoland. He, no, that, that was Egoland that he was at. <laughs> oh, no. I'm yeah, ruined. For, yeah. Very sticky. Speaking of sticky situations, Egoland. All based on that commercial, Lego My Ego. Right. Talk about the whole park. park. Talk about marketing. Jumping the shark. Lego my ego. <laughs> that's that's the one ride they have at Egoland. <laughs> You're just fighting with a computer trying to grab the waffle right. out of his hand. You're just holding on to one waffle and everybody at the park holds on to it. <laughs> while somebody yells this isn't at you. Fun at all. Lego my ego. This is Lego my ego, I said. I wish, I wish they'd expand. They should. Very limited. They have a cafeteria they, well, they, here. Something else to do. They have a whole wheat one that you can you can hold on to. Um, lines no, we were are at, much shorter. We were the lines are very short. The lines are very short for the whole grade. The uh, attraction. We were at the uh, the Legoland Discovery Zone there, and um, they have this little ride where you you know you shoot a laser there, and uh, things got things got serious, things got very serious. That's what it looked like. Yeah, it was it was it was two grown men and two and a uh, three year old and an almost five year old, and it was it was on. I feel uh, like we, I've seen your combat face now. That's right. <laughs> Even though you and I never served together. New and and never will, um, as far as I know, unless you know the like the Max Brooks End Times Zombie Z Wars come about. You don't know. I was that kicked out for uh, suspicions. That's all I'll say. What if you? I'll treat you at the same. That's a good point. I thought of that. Could happen. Could happen. Absolutely. Happen. Could you imagine PJ and I a jury? Just sending notes to each other, giggling. Like, oh, terrible. giggling. <laughs> it, would be, it would be absolutely terrible. I Getting almost got fired two days ago for the text we were sending back and forth and, and the giggling. I had to close the door of my office. We would, the judge would have to separate us. be like we were right. in like, science class in 10th grade. Uh, 
Mr. I don't want to hear another word out of <laughs> Mr. Cachopo, please. Do we have to separate you? Do we have to separate you again? Will jurors three, four, and five please step between these two? They need to be separated. Gentlemen, this is a murder trial. Please. So Lego Discovery Zone, was there a gift shop or was it really like just this one thing? That's all it is. It's just a gift shop. Oh, it is a gift shop. Attached to a ride. That's all it is. With one moving part. Okay. Right, with one ride. There's uh, right. a, no, it's a nice, it's a good, you know, kill two, three hours. Can I tell wow. you what I was, can I tell you what I was really, no, it was, it was great. Wesley had a great time. We had gone there when it opened like a year ago. Now, even like a year makes a big difference in how much fun he can have and also how much less intimidated he is by other kids. Sure. So like a year ago, he was like, don't, you know back off, you know, like a, a kid touched him or something, he'd be like, all right, I don't like this anymore. Now, this year, like, he got in the big jungle gym and was like, look, are we going to do this? I'm Spider-Man. I don't know who you are. I was just reminded again, though, of how much uh, I, I dislike other people's uh, children and parenting styles. They're terrible. It's really remarkable how much I like my friends' kids. Like, I really do. Like, Cal, I'll be around your kids or something like that, or PJ, I'll be around your kids or whatever. And you have good kids because we have similar sort of parenting styles. Like, we have similar outlooks on how to raise a child. We may, you know, we differ here or there, but essentially we're all on the same page. And then you get into, I mean, it's Lord of the Flies. Like, there's some kids named Piggy. There's, like, a skull on a stick, and kids are, you know, face painting. I mean, it's ridiculous. They're all precious snowflakes. Yeah, all right, listen, I'm going, to jump, I'm going to jump off and put our guest on hold, and uh, hopefully, maybe I'll be able to check back. But uh, if not, have yeah. a wonderful show, guys. Uh, the Bishop, we'll miss you. Thank, thank you for the little time you gave us. That's right. You, it will be reflected in your paycheck, by the way. Just, oh, no. Just say just Oh, say man. I don't, want to use the word, I don't want to use the word doc. That's a little it's harsh. Well, now I'm walking. Pick it up at the pay, uh, front desk. <laughs> now you has it. Now you're walking. <laughs> See, if you're going to say that, say it as walking. It it writes it. Now I'm walking from this podcast. Cal, we're about to have our guest on Joe Caparoso. He's great. Um, no, I, I'm super excited to have Joe back on the show. Uh, we have a ton to talk about. Um, we're going to talk collision losses a little later, Cal. Let's do um, the Super Bowl stuff. But I just want to, real quickly, did you watch AFC, NFC championship games? How much did you watch? I watched uh, some of the AFC championship game and all of the NFC championship game. Wow. How did you pull that off? Well, it was championship Sunday. Yeah, that's usually not a big day around your house. I'm just... No. I was out of the house. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to watch that on the road. I did. I got out. Wow. I got out. I won't get out for the Super Bowl. So no. I, I So I chose, I chose this Sunday. You chose, you chose wisely. It's a better day. Uh, the first part of it was not that great. The second game was one of the better games I've seen in years. But it's Brady losing, so the first part is good too. Oh no! It's I mean it it it, it 
you have a warm feeling about it. It's great. <laughs> but the game itself wasn't that good. Yeah, it's not often you can have a warm fuzzy about a football game. Nice. It was. It was like it was like a like a, a sweet bit of cocoa on a cold winter's day. This is grinning a lot. Yeah, just smiling. You know, when he gets sacked on fourth and seven, just laughing, smiling. Oh no! Oh, you overthrew that receiver by fourteen yards. Great. Things smelled nice. <laughs> Food tastes better. The bird. It's a mashup. It is a mashup. Of course it is. Look, if you appear on the show 14 times, the least we can do is have a purpose And you get a t-shirt. That's correct. Here he is. Uh, he is back with us. He is the founder and head writer at TurnOnTheJets.com. He is also an editor and writer for TheWhistle.com. He is our old friend, our old pal, our paisan, a goomba. He's a good guy. He's a good fella. He's a good earner. He's Joe Cabarozzo. Hello, Joe. Guys, uh, I'm always flattered by the introduction music, and uh, I'm always flattered to be called a good earner especially. So, uh, again, you guys go above and beyond with the intro. I appreciate it. It's, oh, you look, deserve it. That's it. The envelopes have been pretty heavy of late, so that's nice. That's what we like to see. That's, that's always the primary concern. <laughs> Joe, uh, and, 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 and I forgot to mention, too, your podcast uh, had a sort of – I want to get this out of the way because Cal and I are, are ecstatic. Uh, not ecstatic is the wrong word. We were just so pleased with the, the Zon uh, uh, podcast that you guys did uh, – you know, sort of ending your podcast season there with the with the Francesa. Um, it was extraordinarily well done. I, those guys are unbelievable. They, their impressions are, are truly spot on, particularly getting uh, the Francesa impersonator and the Russo impersonator together and just hearing them True. rip off each other was it was, it was a mess blowback. Yeah, it was it was an absolute coup to have those guys do that. Cal, you we talked about how great oh, yeah. it was. The, the the Francesa guy is uh, amazing. I mean, they were great together. They were great together, yeah. but the the guy doing Francesa is spot on. And now he's like improving in it comfortably. Oh, he's, he's got it down completely. I now there there's rumors of not even rumors. There there is going to be a Francesa con in the city next Saturday, and I'm hearing some chatter that. He's going to be there doing impersonations. There's going to be different kinds of giveaways. And he, I'm just trying to picture in my head hundreds of people walking around dressed up like Mike Francesa on the Upper East Side <laughs> this Saturday for the Super Bowl. It's going to be an interesting weekend in Manhattan. i got to tell you, I'm excited about yeah. this weekend. Oh, absolutely. The first time we got wind of that, we we talked about it on, on our first podcast back because Cal, basically, it was, again, the joy that you're you're texting with when we're talking about Francesa Khan. And like we're like this is wait this is a real thing like guys are and I know guys that do SantaCon you know the uh, the Santa Claus thing and have done it for years or whatever and I'm like this is wait this is real they're doing this people are dressing up like Mike Francesa on Super Bowl Saturday in New York and like walk oh, it's just so delicious it's so good and he hates it that's the best part he just hates every bit of it I, I know I hope plenty plenty of footage of it gets back to him that's all I can hope for yeah exactly. 
Now, uh, so Joe, we want to start uh, with the AFC and NFC Championship games. We don't want to do, we want to talk about it too much because obviously it's been beat to death. The teams are there, but I think it's important how they got there, and especially from a Jets fan point of view, uh, seeing the Seahawks there because uh, our our general man, uh, manager was recently with the Seahawks. People have talked about that being like the blueprint and how can the Jets get to where the Seahawks are now. Um, you know, I know you don't do impressions, but quick impressions of uh, of both uh, the championship games. You know, the first game, I think you guys you know described it well. The first game, at its base, wasn't a very good, well-played or entertaining game. Really, Denver was clearly the superior team and outplayed New England from, from the get-go. They were in complete control of that game the entire way through. Uh, you know, I, I was surprised to see New England get outplayed that much. It, it seemed like once Tlaib went down, their entire defensive game plan you know, went down the crapper, which you wouldn't expect from the Bill Belichick coach team to expect them to be able to adjust in the fly or adjust at halftime. But you know, defensively, they, they, kind of, they did hold them to field goals a lot, but Denver was just chewing up time with the ball. And then New England's offense didn't play that well. Uh, they couldn't run the football at all. Denver's run defense has been a, very good in the postseason and is pretty underrated overall. And Braves just didn't play that well either. And, you know, we've seen this over the last eight, nine years since he's won his last Super Bowl where he just is outplayed. It's the conference championship game. It's a divisional game to Mark Sanchez. It's, it, he's been a pretty average postseason quarterback the last eight or nine years, and he had a couple throws down the field that he just missed. That In that game going against Manning in that offense, that he really needed to hit. I mean, New England was the inferior team to Denver, and if they were going to win that game, he's got to make plays like that and elevate his play and you know, Manning was just on a different level, and it's really been his season since, you know, opening night. Um, Joe, I, th- the NFC- I think oh, – No, no, just on, on the AFC game, Joe, I think the Patriots this year – and I, I'd like to get your take on it. It wasn't a typical Patriot year. You know, they, they won the division, and they finished with the two seed, but they didn't really run away like they normally do. And once again, they got to the postseason, and they struggled. And do you think – well, let me ask you, at some point – do you think Belichick and Brady have to start taking a hit for that? It's tough because from one end, they win a division every single year. They, they put themselves right in the mix for the Super Bowl every single year. Now, they haven't been dealing with a consistently strong division, but when you always have the best quarterback and the best coach in the division, you know, you're more than likely going to win it. Now, yes, when you consider that New England won those three Super Bowls so quickly, and since then, I, you know, I think they're 8-8 eight and eight in the playoffs. You know, they lost to Jake Palmer in Denver. They lost twice to Joe Flacco. They lost to Sanchez in the Jets. They've lost to Manning twice, the one game where they had a huge lead and they blew it. Um, and also the two Super Bowls, where they were a heavy favorite, particularly in the first game. And then you know, they were favorite in the second game, too. I mean, they haven't really been able to break through and get that fourth and fifth Super Bowl win to kind of get on the level of those, you know, Niners teams or Steelers teams from a previous decade. I'm certainly happy to see that. But that being said, as of now, they have to be your favorite for next year in the AFC East, which puts them right in the mix for you know being in the Super Bowl again, unfortunately. You know, I hope the Jets are contend with them throughout the regular season and you know, actually make it a race where Greenland doesn't have the division wrapped up you know, by week 14 again. But with Brady and Belichick, at least in the regular season, they always seem to find a way to win 11, 12, 13 games. I almost feel like, though, Joe, and 
I almost feel like watching that game the other day that maybe, and Cal, I don't know if you, we, we haven't talked about this, which is odd because we talk about everything all day. But uh, I almost feel like a window closed. I don't know why, but they With looked, this game? Yes. Because they looked, they were never in this game, in my opinion. Ever, really ever in this game. Like, I don't, I didn't, the outcome of this game was never in doubt. They would pin, you know, the Broncos deep and the Broncos would just march. And, you know, Peyton Manning, I, I think, uh, you know, Cousin Sal said it great on, on Bill Simmons' podcast the other day. And, and I totally agree with this. Peyton Manning was a game manager with 400 yards passing in that game. Like, that's, that's almost, like, impossible to do. Like, he managed the game. They had these long, sustained drives that kept Brady off the field, and he still threw for 400 yards. But I, I, I just never got the sense that New England was in the game. And I feel like this year was very smoke and mirrorsy with them. Um, and that the, the, the shine is, I don't know, I feel like a, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I feel like a window is closing on this team. I really do. Tom Brady was not good. And was not good for most of the year. I mean, he was decent. He wasn't Tom Brady. And I know the weapons and, and you know, Gronk got hurt and, you know, he's throwing the receivers that aren't good and Amendola was hurt all year and blah, blah, blah. Julian Edelman's their leading receiver. I get all that. I feel like maybe a window's closing a little bit for this team, guys. I think they – I feel like they come back to the pack a little bit next year in the AFC. I really do. It was definitely a surprisingly uncompetitive game. I, you know, you get all this hype all week. Brady versus Manning, and, you know, New England, you know, you're expecting some kind of game that is going to at least come down to the fourth quarter, and this game was very one-sided from from the get-go, like you said, and I I do hope New England, you're right, and New England comes back to the pack next year, but, you know, you look at our, you know, you look at the AFC, Miami's a mess right now, they can't figure out their front office situation, Buffalo just lost a very good coach, you know, on their defense, and then you look around at the other division, I mean, are they, maybe are they, is a team like the Texans going to bounce back? You know, they had this awful year where everything went wrong. Did they reload reload through the draft? Are they competitive next year? You know, how good are the Colts? Are they ready to be a really a serious contender next year? Because they didn't show well at all in the they went in the playoffs. And you know, outside of that, you know, you know Denver will be back with Manning, but you know, who else is jumping up as you know a major Super Bowl contender next year? It feels like Pittsburgh is kind of stuck in between. You know, two errors, maybe a little bit of a decline and. The Ravens, you know, were disappointing in their follow-up to the Super Bowl last year. So the conference was weak this year, and I don't know who's going to rise up next year and, you know, kind of battle Denver, you know, for AFC supremacy. Do you think that's the conference being so weak? Was a, that's, that's why New England was able to get the two-seed again this year? Because they didn't have a New England-type season. Yeah, I mean, you know, you saw I don't know how else they that, did it. <laughs> who, I mean, who else was going to – take that two seed. Uh, you know, you look at a team like the Colts, they won that division, but look how bad the other three teams were in that division. And they were able to win their first round game, but, you know, Kansas City had three-fourths of their roster hurt, it felt like, and they needed this miraculous comeback. You know, they never really had a shot in the England, and that wasn't that good of a team. You saw how bad their run defense is. They allowed 44 points the week before to Alex Smith in a pretty average Chiefs offense. You know, they, that's, that's what was frustrating about the Jets not finding a way to you know, sneak in this year because we saw San Diego sneak in, handle, you know, Cincinnati in the first round and be very competitive against Denver in the second round. This was just one of those years where you could have been a very average 8-8, 9-7 team, got into the playoffs and made some noise. Very similar to how the Jets did in 2009. It was just a weak overall conference, and 
I don't know if it's going to really change radically next year. Obviously, there's only one or two surprise teams, but it doesn't really seem like there's that many teams who are really trending upwards. You might say something like Cincinnati, but are they ever going to take the next step with Dalton, the quarterback? Well, I mean, that's that's a that's a, I was going to say Cincy, but that's obviously Andy Dalton's a huge question. Here's here's my thing, and and this is something I don't know if I've told this story before. Maybe I have, Joe, but uh, Cal, you probably remember this. I know we've talked about it on the show. And Joe, after we watched the, I'll never forget uh, uh, watching the Jets and Steelers AFC Championship game. We watched it at my brother's house. Uh, it was a great scene. There was, you know, like 15 guys there, all the tightest, you know, best Jet fans that have been, you know, uh, waiting for this moment because we really, unlike the Colts game, as you well know, we uh, the year before, we really felt like we had a legitimate shot in this game. And after the game, the loss, we're leaving, and Cal was there, and, and we're walking out of my brother's house, and we're downtrodden. Obviously, I mean, downtrodden's the magnificent word for this because that's what we were. Like we were, I was shocked. Like I thought they were going. This was it. We were going. Finally, the Jets were going to be in the Super Bowl. And I had only had that feeling one other time in my life. It was with you know, uh, 20 minutes to go in Denver in 1998. So Cal turns to me, and I and I'm I'm, I'm I might have had a few adult beverages. I'm defiant. I'm uh, I'm upset. And I, you know, I'm saying, you know, they'll be back next year. Sanchez is on the rise, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Cal, I'll never forget it. You turned to me and you said, the window is closed. I feel like we just watched the window close. You said, I don't think they get back there for a while. And I said, why, why? And Cal, I'll never forget this. This is like like one of those seminal sports rooting moments where you're like, Man, you were prescient there. How did you know? I, I had nothing to base it on. No, it was an emotion at the time. <laughs> and you were just like, "They're not getting back, man. They're not getting back. The window is closed." And and the reason I bring it up is a because I'm depressed, but b <laughs> we're going to talk about collision low crossers later and how it all went wrong in 2011. And Cal was completely right. But b somebody brought up the analogy of the Patriots and the Atlanta Braves. And now the Patriots won more. They won three Super Bowls. The Braves in all those years only won one World Series. But they were there every year, every year, every year based on their pitching. right? So they had this phenomenal pitching staff. And the Patriots have Tom Brady. And they have Bill Belichick. It's going to stop working at some point, And it's going to be gradual. And I feel like their window of... of Superiority, yes, they're still. I mean, they'll still be in it next year, but their window of advanced superiority to me, like Brady, is closing. And I, I, I really do think that. I think teams have windows. Theirs happens to be 14 years, but I, I think teams have windows based on their personnel or based on you know having an elite player or something like that. And I think, I, I honestly think the Patriots' window is closing. I really do. It's going to be interesting to see how they try to rebuild, not rebuild, but maybe retool that roster this offseason. You, you know Brady is getting a little older. Belichick's getting a little older. Do they go outside of their normal approach and make a very aggressive push for a big-time receiver or a big-time tight end to replace Gronkowski since they can't count and stay healthy for 16 weeks? You know, do they do something abnormally aggressive in the draft to say, you know, we might only have, like, two or three years of Brady and Belichick together left. 
we have to go get this fourth and fifth Super Bowl now. Um, we're, we're putting all our chips in the middle. We're not going to take the trade back in the draft and kind of spend lightly in free agency approach. We're going we're to try to go all in. Uh, it remains to be seen how they actually handle it in the off season. I, I do, again, I, I hope and I, I share your, <laughs> wish I could fully share your optimism <laughs> that they're going to take a step back next year, but that, you know, becomes then who's really going to push them in the AFC East. I, you know, I would say as of today, the Jets, projected being the second best team in the division next year. Obviously, I think we that's have to fair. I think that's yeah, absolutely they fair. Finished in, they finished in second this year and playing a lot of young players, and now they're actually going to have 12 draft picks and you know $40 million in cap space. So you would hope that after this offseason and now that they have the you know continuity of returning the same offensive coordinator, same quarterback coach, same head coach, that they can build on that. But you know, we'll see. I don't I think the expectation should be there for the Jets next season. You know, we've had three straight non-playoff years of kind of being a little too happy maybe about being 8-8 eight and eight or, you know, 6-10 and 10 and overachieving. The expectation should hopefully be to make the playoffs next year, and hopefully that means pushing New England. I, you know, just real quick on, on Brady and Belichick, last thing for me and then we can move on, Joe, and, and even Steve. How much more after Brady is gone – do you anticipate that Belichick will stay with the Patriots or are they linked at the hip? And when Brady goes, Belichick's going to say, that's it. I'm not starting over. And is that when the window really closes? Uh, I think they're linked at the hip. And I think that they have their kind of succession plan in place with McDaniels and Mallet kind of being the guys who are going to take over. I think I totally agree with that. And, you know, I think, one of the reasons McDaniels didn't leave is that he probably got some kind of assurance that, hey, yep. two or three years from now, Belichick's going to step down. We're going to groom you to be the guy. You know, they've held on to Mallet and developed him behind Manning for these years. He'd probably be the guy they want to hand it over to. Um, that would probably be, you know, the approach. If they had won, if they win Super Bowl, you know, next year or two years from now, does that expedite the process? Or, you know, do they, you know, hang on? But I do think they'll, they'll go out together when they do go out. Yeah, and you you brought up a great and and if anybody should be a little weary of wary, not weary so much, not tired, uh, wary of the old promise of becoming the coach, it's anybody who hangs around Belichick, because that was sort of the deal with Parcells all those years. Like Parcells, you know, it was always understood that Belichick was going to be the guy, and then Parcells was kind of like, yeah, nah, not so much. And and Belichick went and did his own thing with the Browns, just like McDaniel went and did his own thing with the Broncos. And then he came back uh, with Barcells with the Jets. And it was like the promise was there for Bill Belichick to take over the Jets, which he took the million dollars and screwed over uh, Mr. Hess. May he rest in peace. Um, but we don't have to get into that. The HC of the NYJ. Um, the, uh, yeah, let's move on to the other game. Although I could talk about this Really, it's, it, it is fascinating because in a salary cap era, to do what they've done is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's redamnediculous. It really is. So I, I think part of it for me is wishful thinking, but I also I think the writing is on the wall. I think Brady looked eminently beatable often this year, and it wasn't just because of the receivers he had. I think he started to see... Yeah, ghosts a little bit in the pocket. I think he started to see pressure when there wasn't pressure there. I mean, I was at that Jets-Patriots game where the Jets won. And, you know, that, that, that pick that he threw, I mean, just 
I think they're going to be susceptible. Are they going to go four and twelve? No, certainly not. But they they could go ten and six. They could go nine and seven, and somebody could go up there and take the scepter uh, off of the uh, the great Bill Belichick. All right, we got, let's let's move on to the other game and then get to the Super Bowl. I know we have you only for a limited time, Joe, but there's so much to talk. Um, Richard oh, Sherman, oh. a delight. <laughs> I had I had no problem with what we, I want to talk about the game, but I want to just get this out of the way. I strangely, maybe not strangely, I I made a flip comment on Twitter, Joe, and I got called out, and it really ruined my night after the NFC Championship game. It really that could did. Happen. It's, it's, Twitter's a dangerous thing. It all takes is one comment, and all of a sudden it starts raining down on you. Yep. Yeah. And and it was really. It was – I'll tell you exactly what it was. Somebody – this was after Richard Sherman's antics and stuff like that, and somebody made the comment that Richard Sherman went to Stanford. You know, think about that. And I just replied, dot, 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 and he went for free. And somebody called me out and said he was – you know, he's an honor student. He was like well, – he had a three nine average. He would have gone to Stanford anyway. Don't be ignorant. And I was like, oh, boy. That was the magic word. Threw the ignorant, threw the ignorant at me. And I, I went back to the guy. He was not like a follower, not anybody I knew, some guy. And I went back at him, and I, I, I didn't go back at him. I went just back and said, you know what? My bad. I, I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I knew he was an educated guy. I had read the SI article, but I had sort of forgotten. And um, I sort of wound up apologizing, but it, it threw me into thinking about it more, I didn't have a problem with what he said. I, I, I didn't have a problem with the, with the post-game tirade. I really didn't. It was a me, me, me situation, but so what? You know, he just made the play of his life. He's got this reputation. I, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. And I think if it was Peyton Manning who had done it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. You know, if it, if, yeah. it was Wes, if it was Wes Welker that did that, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. And it turned into a race thing, and that's unfortunate. It really is. Yeah, I agree. And I think the more footage we've seen after really kind of paints it as more of a kind of a rehearsed and planned thing. Like that there's oh, totally, really totally. He, he was very aware of what he was doing. And, you know, we saw them mic'd up, and he actually ran up to Crabtree and legitimately just said, good game, good game, and, was it a little over the top? Sure, why not? But I mean, how harmful is it? You know, as a guy, the adrenaline is pumping. He just made the biggest play of the season. He is the best cornerback in the league right now. And right it, now, it was, it was, it was a fun <laughs> kind of like crazy moment, and people to get so up in arms. It was similar to the week before when people were freaking out about Kaepernick kissing right. his bicep when he was mocking Cam Newton. It's it's like, is that really something worth getting? that upset about? Is it that disrespectful of the game? What? Let these people have a little personality and a little fun while they're playing. I, I got a kick out of the interview, just like I got a kick out of the Bart Scott interview after the Jets win in the playoffs. Obviously, Sherman's was more me-centric, but again, it was so short. It was like a 12-second soundbite. And after, after all those interviews, he went on and said, look, I should have gave more, you know, it's more about the entire defense. I shouldn't have made it an individual thing. It's like, all right, it's done. Move on. Let's focus on Seattle and Denver, which is going to be an amazing game and really the game that we kind of feel like we've all been waiting for all year. It kind of felt like the inevitable matchup at the end of the season. Yeah, it was a heel turn. I mean, let's call it what it is. It was a heel turn. 
he went wrestling style and he played the heel and he played it perfectly. He's done it before. They'll do it again. It's entertainment. It's a heel turn. It's not. Yeah, the only, actually, it's not even a turn because he's been a heel the entire time. The only the only thing that didn't feel right about it to me, and I didn't I didn't necessarily have a problem with what he said, but the fact that it did take away from what right. Seattle as the team had just accomplished. It should have been a huge moment for Seattle, for the city, for the team, and all the focus was on Sherman squarely. And I felt bad for the rest of, of, of the group that, that's, that that happened. And, Joe, you're right. He came out, and he apologized for it, and he, he sort of backtracked a little bit from it. And at that point, now it's over. It shouldn't have continued on after that. Yeah, it's a shame the first couple of days of the Super Bowl coverage was kind of dominated by that soundbite and not kind of digging into and breaking down this game, which the last I've seen, you know, Denver's a two-point favorite, but this is really the kind of game that if the weather's like it is today, I, I don't know how that doesn't swing the you know the line a few more points towards Seattle. This could really just be a complete true pick game based on the weather, which is bizarre, but it, it's a very tough game to have any kind of feel for or have a clear favorite in because these teams are so different and have such contrasting styles that it's really just a fascinating matchup all the way around. Let me ask you, Joe, if this is, well, I don't, I don't think I need to preface it. I can ask you. You're on the show. Um, if, this is, if this game is being played in, you know, New Orleans, in a dome, what's the line? Same, you know, I, I same think, two teams, obviously. What's the line? I think it's probably Denver maybe by like four and a half, five, maybe, you know, somewhere in that four to five range probably. Yeah, like is Just this not like a? They got the big name. They're bigger, you know. With Manning, it's that that offense with how convincingly they beat New England and how a lot of people kind of feel like San Francisco still might be the better team than Seattle. Um, I think you know Denver would probably be grabbing more points, but with the weather factor, it plays right into Seattle's hands. And, you know, it really does. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the perfect year for Seattle to be there because. Well, I'll ask you guys this, too. I've had this conversation with a couple of guys about Seattle. Are they... How much of a product is this team of that stadium, of that home field advantage? I mean, I know that I'm I'm not taking anything away from their very good team. We can list their strengths from here to eternity. They're an excellent team, obviously. I'm not saying they're not a worthy Super Bowl team. But if that game is played in San Francisco, do they win that game? It's a really good and really, you know, fair question considering that, you know, what, what were they, 5-3 and three or, you know, they were only 5-3 and three or maybe 6-2 and two on the road. And I think a lot six of people two. would say that, you know, San Francisco was playing better than them by the end of the season. And, you know, San Francisco was right there at the end of that game. So it's fair to think that if it wasn't San Francisco, they probably would have found a way to win. But, you know... I think the way the style that Seattle plays, you know, plays into that crowd and that environment, you know, with that a very highly aggressive defense and, you know, with their running game. But it, I don't see them struggling, um, you know, in a cold weather situation with a neutral crowd that, you know, is not really going to be that loud either way. I don't think that's going to be something that holds them back. I think this game is just going to come down to, really how much can they slow down Manning and can they get Denver to kind of get out of their game and run the ball more than they really want to. And 
how many plays can Russell Wilson and that offense make? You know, Denver's defense can be vulnerable. And Wilson is a second-year quarterback. He's excellent. You know, he had another very good year. But going head-to-head against arguably the greatest quarterback of all time in the biggest stage, you know, that, that's a difficult task. Well, how much, how much stock do you put into the fact that, like you just said, it's, you, you look at Wilson versus Manning, and Manning's been there before. He knows what this is all about, not only because he's been in the league for so long and he's quarterbacks ever, but because he's, he's been to the Super Bowl before. Russell Wilson has no idea of the magnitude of this whole thing. Do you think that that gives Denver a, a market advantage over Seattle, just in that area at least? It definitely is some type of advantage. In terms of, I just think starting the game out is just a different kind of intensity and a different kind of atmosphere. And I think it will be surprising to see Wilson not start a little slow in the game. I think he had a fumble on the first drop back against San Francisco. First yep. play, yeah. I wouldn't, be shocked if, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he started a little slow in the Seattle offense started a little slow. And I don't think we'll see that from Manning in particular. I think he will be comfortable in the third Super Bowl. Um, you know, he'll be ready to go, have that offense ready to go. And Seattle's got to make sure that, you know, they don't put themselves in a quick 10 nothing or 13 nothing hole because their offense really isn't built to come back from that. They don't necessarily have those kind of weapons on offense. Now, we are hearing that Percy Harvin's going to play. He could be a huge game changer and X factor, but how much can you really count on him? Um, you know, if he, you know, he hasn't been able to take a hit all season. So, right. you know, if I'm Seattle, I don't want to fall behind 10 nothing, 13 nothing, because Wilson starts out a little shaky. So it's going to be important for him and for their offensive you know, coordinator and offensive game plan to get his confidence going early, get him some high percentage completions, maybe get him outside the pocket uh, to try not to let Denver pull away early. I'll tell you what, Joe, they're, they're built an awful lot like the 2010 Jets. They really are. <laughs> they, I think that, that's really, a really, really good comparison. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly what the 2010 Jets would have looked like going to the Super Bowl had they beaten Pittsburgh. Absolutely. I, I, Second-year quarterback who played well throughout the playoffs and, and is sort of a game manager, can make some plays with his leg. I mean, Sanchez made a ton of, ton of plays, moving out, outside the pocket, extending plays, uh, strong running game, Marshawn Lynch, you had Sean Green, you have... Uh, you know, decent receiver. Actually, the Jets had better receivers on that team. Um, and, a, and a fantastic defense with a great back, uh, you know, uh, back four and an elite cornerback. And they're, they're built very similarly. Very similarly. It's, it's absolutely a similarly constructed team. And it's funny when you were saying that, you know, that year against Pittsburgh, you really believed they were going to the Super Bowl. And I, you know, I'm a, a little bit younger and I, I felt the exact same way. I, I always say there was. Three times I was convinced the Jets were going to the Super Bowl. When they would be, when I was, I was a little young, but when they were up by ten points on Denver in the third quarter, I, in my young age, was not prepared for the typical Jets meltdown that was coming. <laughs> the other year was that the year I think it was it was 2002 when they started out two and five and they got yep. hot with Pennington this first year. Yep. They looked unbeatable. They beat Manning 41 nothing at home. I thought they yep. were going into Oakland. I thought no one was going to beat them that year. And then of course Oakland, you know, stomped them out 30 to 10 or whatever. And nah. then. Yes, the year with the Steelers. I thought after they beat New England, this, this is their year, 100%. You know, there's no way they're losing this game to Pittsburgh. And I still, like every Jet fan out there, say if they stop Pittsburgh on that third down, they go down the field and win the game. Yeah, but, absolutely. Of course they didn't. And, uh, you know, here we are. And, yeah, I yeah. agree. The year before with the Colts was kind of just like gravy. And no one expected them there. And, the, you know, that Colts team was dominant, dominant. Even at 17-6 in the second quarter, I didn't feel comfortable at all. So Nope. 
the I have one more question about the uh, the Seattle Niners game, Joe, and it's specifically for you. It was uh, uh, only because of you know you, you guys do such a great job these days on turn on the Jets, like breaking down film, and you guys are bringing like the offensive play that works, and here's why it works. Those those uh, spots, by the way, are fantastic. I mean, they're they're really. Fa- I I've been sending those around to like non-Jet fans to just say this is why you know, uh, this site is doing so well, and this is what a fan-based uh, blog should look like. I mean, you guys are doing a, an awesome job. So We, got we really in, appreciate that. I mean, those are definitely we, our favorite articles to put together. Oh, it's, it's, it's just awesome. They're breaking down the, the read option the other day. It's fantastic. So I come into work on Monday, and we're talking about the game with the guys. And Cal, you love this because it was it was our WFAN guy, uh, one of the guys I work with. Joe desperately wants to be, and he's he's good. Like he's got some ability, but he wants to be on WFAN. So he's like, it's basically like having a conversation with Mark Melusis, which is difficult. <laughs> you know, and 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 again, he's 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 a good sports fan. He's but he's just combative, and. Um, he, we were talking about that last play and Kaepernick's decision to throw that ball. And, and he was going on and on about how you can't throw into double coverage there. And I said, look at the tape. He's not throwing. It wasn't double coverage when he threw the ball. Now, I'm not saying I agree with Kaepernick making the throw. Well, you know, and he's saying, well, if you assume that there's going to be a trailer there, you can't throw that ball. I said, look at the tape. When he releases the ball, the, the linebacker who made the interception is 12 yards away from the play. You know, he, he had dropped into a, a hook zone. Once he saw Kaepernick going to that part of the end zone, he threw the ball there. Now, again, I wouldn't have made that throw. I'm not throwing the ball one-on-one against Richard Sherman, you know, <laughs> at any time. In, and I have two timeouts and I have, whatever, 35 seconds left. I'm not making that throw. But it wasn't double coverage. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It, it wasn't double coverage, and the fact that it was Malcolm Smith, the outside linebacker, who you know is a guy who actually chased it down, you know, just kind of shows that he you know he dropped into his zone and chased the play down. I think the problem is is that Kaepernick read the coverage correctly. It probably the coverage probably dictated to throw to Crabtree there. That, that's their best receiver. That's his favorite target. He had one-on-one coverage, but you have to know Seattle's personnel. And no, not to test Sherman in that situation. Also, no, the down and distance. So, you know, they had a lot of time left. A lot that of time. wasn't an issue. And, you know, we saw them in the Super Bowl the year before, again, kind of do these low percentage throws into the end zone when they didn't need to. And, they, you know, their last play against Baltimore was kind of a low percentage pass to Crabtree. I can take in a few other ill-advised shots to the end zone. They didn't really need to rush the ball like that. They were moving well. They could have ran Kaepernick a couple more times. They could have checked it down and, Again, I mean, Kaepernick's a young player, and the coverage dictated, hey, I got one-on-one for my best receiver, but know your personnel. You don't put the ball up on Sherman. It's similar to not putting it up on Revis in 2009 or 2010. Yeah, you just don't do it. The other, the last thing about this game, and then I, I do want to uh, talk about uh, the 2014 Jets we can touch on, but or the offseason, because we'll have plenty of time to do that. Um, but, guys, seriously, with Harbaugh, like with the antics on the sideline and with is this can we stop hearing about Rex Ryan now like can 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 we start to call out Harbaugh as like sort of Jim Harbaugh is like sort of the the I'm sorry sort of d-bag that he seems like 
I mean, yeah. I mean, the antics on the sideline are despicable. That's not good sportsmanship. That's not, you know, that's worse than anything Rex Ryan ever said. It really is. To me. It's a lot of of bad, bad bad people. It's embarrassing. Like, if that's my, uh, you know, people always say to me as a Jet fan, aren't you embarrassed by Rex and the guarantees and stuff like that? Yeah, sometimes it's a, you know, it's a little, it, it got to be a little much. He's not doing it anymore. But what, what Harbaugh does on the sideline is embarrassing. And you know what? Rex has never done anything remotely like Harbaugh has done on the sideline. No, he celebrated with his players maybe a little too much. You know, go bit. back to the Sean Green laying down on the football and taking a nap. And, and and Rex, you know, sprinting down the sideline, which Jim Nance, by the way, found deplorable, guys. Deplorable. Which made it that much more enjoyable when it happened. Yeah, I think, I think that was actually the word that Jimmy Nance used. It was deplorable. Um, but the, the, seriously, guys, like, enough with Harbaugh. Enough. I've, I'm good. I'm really, I'm good with Harbaugh. Well, he's another one. That's three years in a row that he couldn't win the big game. Yeah. Maybe, maybe let's slow down a little bit before we anoint him. Yeah. And and costly, as you alluded to, Joe, with his play calling. I mean, his play calling very, in the Super very Bowl. Very shaky in big spots back-to-back years. Yeah, his play calling in the Super Bowl could have cost them the game. You can make the argument it cost them the game. And now he's got to be able to tell Colin Kaepernick, look, you may see one-on-one, you can't throw that football. You know, so I, I just I had to get that in there enough with Harbaugh because we take so much crap – about our head coach. And uh, look, if, they ha- if the Jets had let him go, I wouldn't have been that upset. We're going to talk about collision low crossers in a couple of minutes. That's one of the reasons why I wouldn't have been that upset. But I certainly wasn't upset to keep him. And now I'm feeling even better about keeping him for continuity's sake and, and the way the Jets have handled themselves this offseason. But, man, we take a lot of guff for the coach of the team. I'd like to see some start going San Francisco's way because he hasn't won anything. By the way, Bill, it's tough to keep up that level. Uh, you know, he started out with three, you know, very successful seasons, and you, it right. happens all the time in the NFL. They're, they're due for a disappointing year. They're due to regress. They're being back to nine and seven. They're going to get an injury. Something's going to happen. And you get that close three times in a row, and you know, don't get that Super Bowl. It could be a while before you get back. I mean, they, they were the better team against the Giants that year at home, and they muffed the game away. They had a real shot to beat Baltimore, and they didn't handle the clock and the play calling well late, and they had a real shot to beat Seattle there. It, I don't know when they're going to get another shot again because the NFC, unlike the AFC, is loaded with strong teams. Um, so it's not easy to put yourself in that position every season. Well, you know, Steve kind of kicked off the talk about Rex Ryan, so I wanted to get your opinion, Joe, uh, on, on the, uh, i got to say it, the Rextension. Do it. Say it. We love saying that. Extension. Rex- Rextension. The Rextension. The Rexodus, the Rextension. It's the it's oh. so, name so conducive to all these puns. Oh, it's perfect. So is his face. <laughs> I mean, like, so, is, so is his entire personality. Like, he's so punnable. He's but Joe, what do you... He was built for the back pages in New York. He sure was. So how do you feel about bringing him back for, for, for two years? Two years in addition um, to the, the one next year. I, I was probably less... Rex than most um, in the final weeks of the season. That being said, I, my main point throughout the final four or five weeks of the season was that there was a valid argument to bring him back, but there was an also an equally valid argument not to bring him back. Many people were kind of 
making it sound like it was an absolute no-brainer, and I just don't see how that's the case. You don't make the playoffs three years in a row. That being said, when you look at other people who were hired and you look at how the Jets kind of structured this contract where they put the lame dog talk and the hot seat talk away for next year, but really the contract is structured where if the Jets go 4-12 and next year, Rex is going to get fired, or if the Jets don't perform the next you know, year or two, they have an easy out after next year or the year after if he doesn't perform. Um, I don't have a problem with him coming back. I think, you know, I, better than having to hire a guy like Jim Caldwell or Jay Gruden or some of these other, you know, cast-offs and retreats that got hired. And I like Rex. I like Rex. I like Rex's personality. I think one of the things that we both said from reading Collision Low Crosses is that you like Rex even more as a person. Maybe you're a little more shaky on him as an actual head coach, but you just hope that since that book was written, you know, he's developed and learned more things and that now he's got five full seasons under his belt. Hopefully he can continue to evolve and, you know, build and, you know, get better. I mean, that there's a lot of positive traits about him as a head coach. There's just also flaws that he still needs to work to overcome. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, you took a beating for it too. You really did. You took a beating People on the website. <laughs> yeah, you, you really did. You, But, you know, that, that comes with the territory. You, that's one of the things that I'm sure you're finding out, Joe, as you guys uh, are getting more, and it's something we've talked about before, but, you guys are are even more prominent than you were um, the last time we spoke, and and you know it's something you're going to find. You know people are sort of sort of bitter about maybe the, the success that the site is having or whatever. But um, you really took a bit. There were a couple times where I'm like, let's let's go easy on the guy. He's not saying that they should fire him outright. He's just saying, can we at least talk about? It's 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 a lot like Cal and I have talked about this a bunch since the season's end, and that's as a Giant fan. Uh, off this season, apparently you weren't allowed to say anything about Eli Manning or the coach, or you can't say anything because you've won two Super Bowls in you know whatever five years or six years. Well, says who? Like I'm not allowed to question what's going on with my team because I won a Super Bowl three years ago or two years ago. That's nonsense. You know, I'm I'm still paying. Last time I checked, whatever ten grand for my seats the season. I think I can question a quarterback who throws 35 interceptions. No, it's sports. You should always be able to question what's going on. That's the point of it. Exactly. Um, so uh, I know we only have you for a couple more minutes, Joe. So can we move to um, – let's move to Collision Low Crosses real quick. Um, and um, it just for people who don't know this book, uh, and maybe the West Coast audience doesn't, Cal, let's welcome the West Coast audience in. Um, <laughs> surprisingly, there's a lot of people in the New York area that don't know about this book. I, well, th- this is – the first thing we want to talk about, Joe, that has shocked Cal and I to no end, but we, we know the reason for it, is how has none, zero, of the major uh, the sports outlets, sports media outlets in this town, had this guy on their shows to talk about what is not only just a great Jets book, but a tremendous football book. And we, I said this last week, Mike Francesa will have a guy who wrote about, you know, Mickey Mantle's communion. And he wrote, you know, 600 pages on if he took the wafer under his mouth. And no, nope. he, <laughs> he took, took it on the Mickey, you know, took it in his mouth. Mickey took it in his hand. Okay. Didn't do the mouth thing. Took it in his hand. Okay. That's Up chapter there. seven. Right. 
So he'll have the author of that book in for six hours on a Tuesday. And nobody, no, not, not, one, not one time do they have the guy who has written the definitive book about the Jets and Rex Ryan on their show. How is this possible, Joe? How is it possible? Now, Cal has a theory. I'd like to hear I think your it's theory. very surprising the lack of kind of overall press it's gotten, and especially. I mean, I, I don't know when the exact complete release date was. It was relatively recent, but and this is a, a book that really shows exactly what went wrong with the 2011 Jets, a team that was expected to be a Super Bowl contender and, and fell short. It gives a great window into Rex Ryan, gives a great window into Mark Sanchez, gives a great window into Mike Patton. So maybe now we'll get some more press for this book since really Patton is almost the main character in that book and now he's a head coach. You know, I would recommend any Browns fan certainly read it to get a better picture of how he operates. And in general, you know, you don't really need to be a Jets fan to enjoy the book. I, I think guy who wrote the book is not a guy with a sports background necessarily. Maybe that has something to do with it. Well, Maybe he's it. not looking the you know, the tour those kind of media circles, but it, it's an excellent read for anyone who has any kind of appreciation for football or any kind of curiosity on how a team is run day to day. And, you know, when when we had that window at the end of the season as to what was going to happen with Rex Ryan, or even the last couple of weeks of the season when everybody was kind of speculating on what the Jets would do, if anybody had read that book, they would have had perfect fodder to talk about the reasons to keep Rex and the reasons to get rid of Rex. It was right there in the book, in black and white, for everybody to use, and not a single person even referenced that the book existed. It's, it's, I couldn't it understand was, it. It was like a miracle. And, and then today, when Penton gets hired, Brian Costello from The Post tweets out, Hey, Browns fans, if you want an insight into your new coach, you should read Collision Low Crosser. Yeah, Brian, but let's not read it. Let's not have the Jet fans read it. Let's not have the Jet fans read the, the, the seminal work on their team from the last, you know, since Gerald Azansky's book, uh, you know, 45 Years and Counting, which is uh, Gang Green, which is a tremendous book, Joe. I don't know if you've read that, but, um, you know, this is, it's, it's like a miracle to me. The Jets beat writer is, is tweeting about this book for Browns fans to read it so they can get a look at Mike Pettin. And it came out in November, it came out like November 21st. I'm telling you, Joe, my brother thinks I'm getting points on the back end of this book because, <laughs> because of the way I've been no, talking about it. I feel the same way. Once I picked it up, I, I just ripped right through it. It was impossible to put down. And I, I tweeted about it like almost incessantly after, as I was reading it and, and finishing it. And I, I mean, any Jet fan should absolutely 100% go buy the book, read the book. It, it, I can't be disappointed by it. It's just a great read on the team. And, and really pick up a highlighter. picture. You know, this <laughs> error. Yeah, gra- grab a highlighter too, because you you I I I was going back through I I you know I got it on uh, iBooks or whatever. I was going back through it and I looked at my notes and I highlighted like 37 passages from this book for just to go back and I mean it was like I was reading on the road again, like it was like reading Kerouac again, like I'm just highlighting page after page and and. I think, Joe, real quick, I think there's a couple of takeaways. And, and, and Cal, I know you're, you're about halfway through it or whatever, um, yeah. but you're, you, you, you know exactly what we're talking about. And you know the ending of the book. Right. You know yeah. the end of the book. 
there's a couple of magnificent takeaways for any football fan. Uh, Joe, what did you think of, because I found this riveting, the in the war room stuff. I mean, the, the beginning of the book, taking the Jets through the combine and the draft, just was like, that stuff like, I've always wanted to be there. I want to be in the war room. And the interview process, like I highlighted a bunch of passages about Wilkerson because we know, we now know what Muhammad Wilkerson became and then wanted to draft Titus Young. And um, what did you, what, what, I mean, did that grab you right away? Like, wow, I'm inside the war room. It, it was exciting and it was a little terrifying to read because like you said, <laughs> I don't think people realize how close the Jets were to trading away that pick and trading back to the second round to target either Titus Young or Jaquan Jarrett, who, you know, a guy ended up getting off a scrap heap three years later, and obviously we know what happened with Titus Young, but thank God, you know, Wilkerson slipped through the cracks and fell all the way to the Jets because it really didn't seem like they had a good backup plan if he wasn't there. It, it would have been a complete crapshoot from that point on. And, and Petten loved him. Of, yeah, Petten loved Petten Wilkerson. Loved him, yeah. Yeah, and you think, you know, what we know Wilkerson has kind of panned out. And it was interesting to also, you know, read that and discuss Curley as kind of the replacement for Cotri, and they were considering Curley or, you know, Jernigan who ended up on the Giants. Um, you know, obviously happy they ended up with Curley. Um, and just to, you know, hear them kind of talk about some of the other guys they eventually would end up with or target. You know, obviously I know a lot of chatter out of the book was how, you know, Rex kind of overruled everyone and took Scotty McKnight in the seventh round because of a joke he had made with Sanchez and he didn't want to go back on it, which was kind of like, you read that and you're like, I guess it's not a huge deal, but still, like, is this any way to run a, run a professional football team? And it was a microcosm. That, yeah. It was an absolute microcosm of, right, Cal, right? I mean, what Rex is. Well, you read that, you read that passage in the book about how Rex didn't want to disappoint Sanchez. And then you watch... Fast forward to this season, 2013, and you see this team that has nothing to play for the last two weeks, and they play their hearts out for them. And it really, you put the pieces together, and you feel like, well, you know what? If he can get the coaching thing and he get under, under control, and he can involve as a coach, like you said, Joe, maybe he's the right guy because these guys, there's no doubt that anybody that plays for him would run through a brick wall for him. Absolutely. No, that, he has that. Yeah kind of it personality that, you know, people gravitate to and his players gravitate to. And it's just a matter of pulling back the loyalty to certain players when it needs to be toned back and, you know, not being afraid to, you know, put his stamp or overrule some of his coaches, which is something they say is, you know, not really prone to do. He likes to let his coaches coach his positions. And he's got to kind of find where he wants to spend his, you know, daily activities in his time. You know, how much is he going to put into his defense? How much, how often is he going to pop his head in on the offense? Because in 2011, it was basically like there were two head coaches of the team. You know, Schottenheimer had complete control over the offense and was basically the offense head coach, and, you know, Rex was the defense head coach. And, or, you know, and that's no well, way to run the team. And that's a huge takeaway from this book, Joe, about this team and about the NFL overall. That, you know, again, I looked for things throughout this book because I didn't know how the story ended uh, that I maybe didn't know. And there's a ton that I didn't know because it is so behind closed doors. But the divide between offense and defense is staggering, like and especially on that particular team, like they didn't like each other. They never liked each other. There's the, the great story about the, the playbook with the picture of Shoddy and Petten and Petten's glowering at 
you know, at Shoddy and uh, I, I came away not realizing, like you knew that there, there was a divide there, Joe, but you didn't know how div- divisive that divide was. Well, that's bad English, but it, it, was, it was really like poison to the team, how much the offense and the defense hated each other. And the coaches, and then the other thing I took away, and and it, this was really fearful. I, I hope Rex has learned this because it seemed like in the book, and I wonder if you agree, Joe, that because Rex Ryan is such a defense first coach, and because he loves his defense so much, especially when Petten was there, they were like these mad scientists, constantly concocting these unbelievable game plans. And and just running into each other's offices and drawing stuff on the board and be like, we could do this. This would be crazy. And so not caring about offense. Like it was so clear that the offense was in the way of their defense. That it, it became apparent to me that at least his philosophy at that time, Rex Ryan, was offense's job is not to lose the game for the defense. And the way they used to practice the offense and the defense, Shoddy would be putting, and don't get me started on Schottenheimer, but Shoddy would be putting his offensive game plan in for the week, and the defense was trying to shut it down. It seemed like the offense would go into the game with like zero confidence because the defense was so excited about their game plan, and the coaching staff was so excited about the fact that the defense's game plan shut the offense down. It was like, no wonder Mark Sanchez went into every, and I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying, no wonder he went into every game, like, shell-shocked. He was facing the best defense in the league who was trying to, like, shut him down in practice. It, it was amazing to me. It was absolutely amazing, and I hope he's learned from that. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it on the head, and I think that's the most important thing that he needs to fully change and embrace as a head coach that he is the head coach and not a glorified defensive coordinator. And you could just feel the tension on that team because you had it, you know, in 2009 and 2010 that, you know, this, these teams that were good but were really led by their defense and the offense was kind of just staying out of the way. And it kind of boiled to, you know, ahead in 2011 where they tried to put more on Sanchez's plate and they took it off and they had, you know, the diva veteran receivers which wasn't helping any issues. You, you know, you heard that, you know, it, stick, it stuck with me that after the Baltimore game, they had offered all these suggestions on how to go against Baltimore's defense, and basically Schottenheimer and the offensive staff ignored them, and the defensive yes. coaches were furious after the game because they lost, you know, 10-3 or whatever they lost in that game. You know, why didn't you listen to us? Why are you doing this with the offense? And just like constantly reading about, how poor the offense was practicing and how the defense was just taking advantage of them on the field. It, it was just no way to build a complete team, and it, it just seemed like a, a toxic environment of defense versus offense and you know receivers versus quarterbacks and players yelling at coaches. It, it just seemed like a mess. Joe, is there anything in this book that when you read it, and again, I'm only halfway through it, but if this is a spoiler alert for anybody, I apologize. Was there anything in this book... <laughs> That you uh, that you read that just kind of like completely blew you away that you would never have have thought happened or it was just such a revelation reading it that that really surprised you about the way they operate. Um, you know that that's tough to say. I I was most interested and in, surprised by just how dysfunctional the actual offense was. What you know what kind of issues that a guy like Plaxico Burris brought and you know what how Santonio San Holmes was 
you know, overburden being the captain of that team and how the rest of the team kind of looked at that as like a joke and unfair that he had been given that responsibility. And just, you know, Mason constantly fighting with Schottenheimer. It's like the offense really never had a chance. They, they never had a chance. And, you know, Sanchez, they kind of paint him as, you know, this talented guy who people kind of like, but he just didn't, for that team at that time in that year, he did not have the, the mature enough personality to, you know, get everybody in line and whip everybody in line, particularly, you know, these three disgruntled receivers and get it going because he was still kind of a young guy and he comes on as like a kid in the book. He was 24 or whatever. Um, and it was just an offense that it just seemed to never have a chance. The way Schottenheimer was running it, so complicated with all different Oh, checks, the complexity. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, not simplified. Oh simplifying things, and then, again, like just the, the way the personalities were clashing, it, it, they were, that team never really had a chance. It's actually surprising that they were at 8-5 and five and really in a position where they should have still made the playoffs that year. Um, I'm surprised they even got to being that competitive at that point when you read about all the issues. Yeah, and, and you know, the other, I, I totally agree with you. There were a number of things that were surprising to me as well. You know, you didn't know excuse me, Eric Smith was hurt. Like Eric Smith took a beating for the Tebow play, took a beating for that, for that play. And you had no idea that Eric Smith was like playing with like a torn meniscus and like probably shouldn't have even been in that game or, you know, just little behind the scenes things that you had no idea about. I think the stuff about Cromartie is fascinating. Um, he's, I mean, he's such a ridiculously interesting guy where he tells the story about him, like throwing the ball 60 yards left-handed or something like that. Like, just the most ridiculous athlete. There's the great story about Revis in practice, Cal. Revis is, uh, you haven't gotten up to this yet. During, like, one of the practices, he tips a pass, tips a pass in the back of the end zone and keeps his feet in bounds while, while he found the ball in the air and caught it. And then, as his momentum takes him across the goal line, Revis, is, Revis whips a no-look behind the back pass to Brodney Poole. <laughs> The long live tracking shot continues with Revis now confronted by a tall pile of equipment somebody had stacked back there. Still in the same motion, he hurdles the entire pile. So he picks off this pass, he keeps his feet in bounds, he whips it behind his back to Broadney Pool in one motion, and then hops over like a four-foot pile of equipment. I'll say this. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I Mr. Exactly. Revis. And he, obviously you come to yeah. respect Revis that much more just for his practice yep. habits and you know his day to day approach. Um, that's that's a, a big takeaway. I have one more thing for you, Joe. I know we got to let you go, but this is the last thing I want to bring up about this book because to me it's it's extremely important now that they have brought Rex back. And and Cal, this is talked about a little bit after the Jets lose to the Patriots uh, in that second game. And Tannenbaum, who comes off as really weird in the book, <laughs> like I, he just he did. He came off as weird to me. Um, like I didn't realize he had that much football acumen, and in the same breath, he still looks like the the geek who's trying to please the popular guys. Um, he's he's you know lamenting the fact that they have 37 points, and with the players we have, we have only 16, and blah blah blah. And just talking about the Patriots in general, and he says, one answer seemed to be Belichick's decision to emphasize offense, a practical assessment of the times, and also perhaps an indication that the Patriots coach, a defensive specialist, was disciplined enough to build his team around Brady, even though offense was not part of the game he himself was most drawn to. And it's like, 
this author could see that. He could see that Bill Belichick had changed from who he was as the Browns coach to who he was as the Patriots coach because he had he realized that's what he needed to do to win. And throughout the book, it seems like Rex never gets that. He never gets the idea is you've got to build around your quarterback. If you want that young quarterback to be your franchise, you don't take away his two favorite receivers. You don't you know, make a diva receiver the captain. Like, you just, you, you, he messed up. My question, Joe, and we'll let you go. Do you think Rex has learned this? Do you think he has learned this lesson? Do you think he can go that Belichick route? I haven't, we haven't seen it yet because we saw, I, I want to say that he made positive strides this year, but when the Jets season was on the line and they were playing for a playoff spot against Buffalo, against Baltimore, and against Miami the first time, they reverted, and this is particularly in the Baltimore game, they reverted to the ridiculously conservative, protect the quarterback, we're going to run an eighth grade offense because I have this vision of Baltimore in my head as this big, scary, physical team, which they weren't last year. And, you know, we just can't play them, you know, straight up and play 21st century football. Um, And that was disappointing to see. And it's a shame because, you know, we saw when the Jets kind of went back to running a more open offense the last month of the season, you know, how good they – I mean, again, the competition level needs to be remembered and that a lot of these games are relatively meaningless, but still – you know, it was night and day, you know, on the offense. So I hope that when the Jets get to a point next season when they're playing a team that Rex sees as being this physical team that he doesn't come out conservative. And the Jets, I hope the Jets offense offseason plays for this as well, that they put some tools around Geno Smith or whoever the quarterback ends up being, and they just go out and play offense and play their game, and they don't let another team dictate to them because – there was a disturbing trend last year that whenever the Jets went up against a physical team, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, even Tennessee earlier in the year, they got the crap kicked out of them. They just played yep. a different, more intimidated way, and it's like they're more confident when they could go play a finesse team like the Patriots or the Saints because Rex thinks they could just bully them. But if it's a team who's not going to be bullied by them because they're built in a similar way, yep. Rex is going to go out there and get whipped around. That has to stop. Well, and the last thing for me, does Rex and, and Marty Morningwig have the ability to develop a 21st century offense at this point? And if, and if they don't, will they still be here a year from now? I, I think if they don't, they won't be here a year from now. I think I, it's, I can't say it's playoff or bust until I see what the Jets do this offseason, but considering the amount of space they have and the amount of picks they have, this really should be a playoff or bust type season. Um, they should be a nine, ten win team, um, and if they're not going to be that unless they develop their offense further and play twenty first century offense and help their quarterback out and you know don't revert to this scared conservative style of football. Um, so if they don't do that, I don't think they're going to exceed their eight and eight type level of production this past year, and I think both of them could be gone. Totally agree. Joe, I know we got to let you run. Thank you for hanging out for so long. Uh, in the Super Bowl, who you like? What do you got? I know it's, you know it's nine days away, but we're not going to talk to you before then. 
Give me a pick. Who you got? Who you like? Uh, How much you bench? So early, but as of now, I'm, I'm going to go with Denver in a very, very tight game. I think this is a, a one-possession game, but I'll take Denver as of now. Now, please don't let there be an enormous snowstorm. Which we'll play right <laughs> Seattle, and then uh, last thing, uh, what do you you know? Plug some of your stuff. You got the site. You got the the other site. The site with the other guy and the site. <laughs> All the sites. So it's turnonthejets.com, which can be followed on Twitter at turnonthejets. Uh, for you depressed Knicks fans out there, there's also a turn the Knicks, which can be followed at turn the Knicks. Joe, Joe, and can then, we uh, can we talk about that dunk? Can we just talk about that missed dunk? I know he's hurt. I know I know Barjani got hurt, but that that was I've watched exactly seven minutes of Nick basketball this year, and it happened to be last night, and I happened to catch that. And I'm I'm sorry I could have I, I could have looked more athletic going for that dunk. I could have. I'm sorry. It was like. <laughs> if that wasn't a butt fumble, I don't know what is. I'm sorry. I just I, I can't watch that. Now I know how people felt with the butt fumble because I cannot watch Barciani try that dunk enough. I can't. And I know he got hurt, but it's just he, he's 10 feet away. That's not he, basketball. He, was, that he was 10 feet away from the hoop when he tried to dunk that ball. I mean, it's oh, not basketball. No, no. It's, does Woodson have to get fired? He has to get fired, right? He has to get fired at this point. I think it might be by the end of this week. Maybe by the end of this, pod, the end of this podcast. We'll hold it <laughs> <up>. <laughs> might be better um, if, if Tone Loke resigns. It's, it's a mess, unfortunately. <laughs> so if you want to try to avoid depressing stuff like that, you sound like us. At the whistle, which is just thewhistle.com, and the Twitter is at the whistle. That we're covering all sports, and I'm covering the Super Bowl uh, more specifically over there. If you're looking for some writing on that. And the whistle is, uh, and I'm being completely serious, Joe. The whistle is doing really good. It's a great site. I mean, it looks really good. So it's a lot of fun. We're, we're you know, we're growing. We're adding on partners every day. It's, it's a process, but it's, it's been a lot of fun being over there, and I'm really enjoying my time. So. Stay with us as we continue to grow. Yeah, no, that that site looks great. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you, obviously, before the draft, and uh, we'll do, you know, some serious uh, Jets 2014 offseason stuff. Maybe when free agency kicks off, we'd love to have you back on. And then, you know, if you're having a draft party, hey, Cal and I, you know, we're available. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going to be right at the top of that invite list so we can get it together. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Take care, Joe. We'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, anytime. Thanks. See you, Joe. On a very special <laughs> RTU. Uh, he's just, he's so good. He's so good. I think I just hung up on the bishop by accident as well. That's not going to, that's not going to play well in Peoria. Or did you? No, he, he played this and then I hung up on him. No, but did you hang up? Was it an accident? Oh, it was absolutely an accident. Oh, okay. You know how in the queue, he's always at the top? Yes. Right. He had to call back in, so he was in Joe's spot. So I thought I was letting Joe go. And now PJ's very upset. Please call back the bishop. Um, what, a, what a great spot. So good to have Joe on. Yeah. Hey, let's move. I have two things for you if you want to hang out for a minute. Yeah, please. You said you had a lot to talk about. I want to hear it. I cleared my calendar for this. What do you got? <laughs> you did? I did. Okay. I have a couple things. 
um, some sports. I, I did want to ask you about what you thought of the Yankees signing uh, Tanaka. I have found their offseason fascinating. I really have. Because I think they've spent somewhere around half a billion dollars. I think it's like $490 million on, right. on, in guaranteed contracts that they've handed out this season. Right. The off-season. And they are still a completely flawed team. Well, $490 million and Brian Roberts is playing second base. Yeah, and who's playing third? I don't know. Nooney? <laughs> right, third base. Right. Who's playing? No, seriously. Who is playing third? I, I, Nooney. It's got to be Nooney, right? Nooney. They didn't sign back Reynolds, right? He signed. No, Reynolds went to Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, and and is Roberts uh, Robertson their closer? He, as of now, he is. Right. So who? Alfor went to the Tampa Bay today. Right. So who replaces him in the eighth inning? I don't know. And then the rotation. I was talking about this today with a Yankee fan who got all upset at me because I said, you know, three-fifths of that rotation is a huge question mark. Well, a lot of Yankee... And I wasn't counting Sabathia. A lot lot of Yankee fans don't believe Tanaka is a huge question mark. They really believe he's going to slot right in as the number two starter behind Sabathia. And he might. He might very well. And you have to take into account... I think he will. You have to take into account coming over, at least first time around the league, he's probably going to look real good. I feel like everything I've read and the little film that I've seen and stuff, I, my only concern as a Yankee fan would be with health because he's thrown so many innings. But he's young. But I think this, But he's thrown so many innings. Yeah, and so is Matt Harvey, Cal. I mean... Young or not, it doesn't make a difference. He's thrown 161 more innings than comparable pitchers his age. 161. Again, my, I, I, I feel like his stuff is there. Apparently he has a bulldog mentality. Um, he wants the big stage. I, I mean, I think all the other things are there. I think he's got major league stuff, maybe dominant major league stuff. Your only concern is he's thrown a ton of innings. He's sort of you know, a ridiculous amount of innings and pitches. A lot of money, sight unseen. Absol- absolutely. A lot of money. But, but when, you're, when you're talking about the Yankees, it's not that big a deal. Well, there's also a desperation factor there, Cal. They needed somebody for the rotation. Yeah, they did. I mean, I would have you know, gone and thrown $80 million at Matt Garza before I threw $155 million at this guy, who you don't know. I mean, isn't Matt Garza more of a known quantity? Yeah, but the upside of Tanaka over Garza is is enormous. Well, from a marketing standpoint. From a marketing standpoint, from a pitching standpoint. Right. I guess. If if he is as good as advertised, that deal is actually a bargain. I don't know about a bargain. $20 million a year? (sighs) For seven years. He better be awfully good. It, isn't that the same con? Did I read that was the same contract they offered Cano? Oh, Seven years. I, I didn't read that. I thought I saw that that was what they were going <laughs> to offer Cano. That's awesome. And they gave it to this guy. I think the other. I think the other problem is that this is a very good lineup in two thousand and six. Yeah. I, I just. 
I, I am amazed that they spent, and I love the Beltron signing. I love it. I love it for them. I think I don't love the McCann signing. You know that. I no, think McCann's I vastly I, overrated. I think he's going to have one good year, and that's going to be. Yeah. But, I think the Beltran signing is probably their best signing. Their best signing. I agree. Because he wants to be there. It's. I think it's better than Ellsbury. I really do. Uh, oh, by I don't think Ellsbury was a good signing at all. No. Considering the amount of money and his and his injury history <laughs> and the fact they've got Brett Gardner there, who's like the same player. Right. I just what a fascinating off season. It is. Yeah. I mean. And and you add in the A Rod stuff and you well, add in the fact that you know that they they've sort of been like walking by a like a you know like their dog let. <laughs> let go on someone's sidewalk and they're just walking right by it. They're just, that's... That, fascinating is, is a great way to put it. It's just, you can't, I can't get enough of what they're doing. Yeah, it's really, and, you know, whether, like, whether letting Cano walk and, right. Yeah, I mean, what, and, and as a Met fan, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not really looking for the Yankees to have a lot of prosperity, but whether what they're doing is good or bad and we don't know what it is yet, it's just fascinating. It really is. You hit the nail right on the head. They are they are an unbelievably constructed team. They really are. It's like watching a reality show. <laughs> right? That let's take you know, MLB the off season. The off season. And it's you know, like you're expecting Brian Cashman to be in a confessional looking off to the side camera. <laughs> They're all in a house. They're all <laughs> I think they should have put all of Yankee management in a house. <laughs> And had them do all these deals like in one house, right? And why, they have to live together. Hal eating my peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, I'll sign Jacoby Ellsbury when you stop wearing my clothes. Hal <laughs> Steimer, he thinks he's all that. Hal or Hank? I want them both in the house. Well, Hank has to be there. Hank has to be in the house. Right. <laughs> Can we get uh, Levine in there too? And oh, oh, Levine runs that house. And everybody looks at him like, who's this guy? Who's these kids? Lontrost. Yeah, yeah, like whatever. Lontrost? What's his name? Lontrost. Lontrost. That's a whole different person. Cashman only comes in. He doesn't live in the house. He kind of like comes in and out. He comes and goes. Right. <laughs> no, Cashman has to live in the house. Nah. I want Girardi there, too. A-Rod lives in the house. <laughs> Absolutely lives in the house. A-Rod's... It, like they have to, they have to ask Alex to leave the confessional. You won't leave. They're like, and dude, you've been in the confessional for four hours. <laughs> and Takapina keeps coming in, <laughs> presenting paperwork, saying, "No, he has every right to be here." <laughs> Meanwhile, he's sitting there eating a bowl of cereal, watching TV, and he's like oblivious to everything. Right. Right. <laughs> I can't Great. believe I can't believe that Bud Selig. He's just the worst kind of person. I mean. Who does that? And then they like cut to a clip of him yelling at the TV. <laughs> and they cut back to him in the confessional. In a pinstripe robe. <laughs> pinstripe, right. Like he really, like he's really all into his Yankee <laughs> legacy. And everybody's like, well, get, why won't this guy just leave? Why won't this guy just leave? It's great. Um, it has been that kind of offseason. It's a reality show. Okay, I, Evan, do, I, I do think they're going to have a good season, though. Oh, I, I, there's no doubt. You know? There's a, I, have, I have another one for you. I watched the uh, that NHL show, the um, revealed NHL revealed, I but just not just the, just the Islander part, right? Wow, wow! 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you the YouTube link. You can watch it tonight. It's like oh, there's I like eleven it. there's like eleven minutes on the Islanders. First of all, for them to get the national exposure that this show gives them uh, within NHL circles, which granted it's a small community. Which nation? United States or Canada? Canada. Okay. Like I was. You're at first as an Islander fan because we've been so beaten down, yet Islander fans of our age have this rich uh, feeling of pride about the team. Like, you, you can, as bad as things got, like, Spano bad, you cannot take the four Stanley Cups away from me. You cannot take the five straight appearances. You cannot take the 19 straight playoff series wins, which is a record that will never be topped. You cannot take the seven Hall of Famers away. You can't, you, you, you can try, Canada to take all of those things away from us, but they happened in a little arena on, you know, Hempstead Turnpike. So as bad as things ever get, you can, oh, I'm sorry, we were there, we watched them. I met Billy Smith, I met, you know, I hung out with Janice Arbor, she was a friend of mine. I, I held a little mini Stanley Cup in my hand, like this was my childhood. You cannot take that away from me. And to see them get like national prominence here and it's good like it's well done well well let me ask you because i haven't seen it is it national prominence because of john tavares yes or because of the islanders john tavares okay i'll take it yeah it raises awareness because, because they well and not only that they feature oposo prominently they they follow oposo into the delivery room He's giving birth to the, he's well, his giving, wife. Yeah, that's right. He's not. He's not a medical miracle. That would he's, be a story. He's good. He's, he's good. Don't get me wrong. He's an excellent player. He's having a tremendous year. His wife. His wife is giving birth to a uh, comedy bang bang shout out. His uh, his wife is giving birth to their first child. They follow them around. They go with them to the hospital. Meanwhile, the Islanders are playing the Stars that night. JT's, Just a couple weeks ago, right? JT's without his you know his line mate, so they make a deal out of that. There's a moment. Oh, you got to see this, Brian. You're gonna lose your mind. JT has a little ritual where he stops in front of Mike Bossy's plaque before games. Okay. And says a little something to himself. All right, don't tell me what it is. Well, he doesn't say. He's having a moment before oh. the game. Oh, okay. <laughs> to himself. All right. <laughs> That's got to be a Toronto thing then, right? Bossy's from Toronto, and Tavares well, he, from he, Toronto. He, Tavares uh, today was asked about it because it aired last night, and he said it just kind of happened that that's where they line up all the sticks, and I found myself, my stick in front of his plaque, and I kind of have gotten to know him, and I respect him, and he's a tremendous, you know, he was an unbelievable player. So it just sort of started happening, mm-hmm. and maybe he's giving me a little good luck, and it's rubbing off, that sort of thing. Yeah, because when you think about it, he, he would never have even seen Bossy play. He's too young. Yeah. Exactly. I, thought it might, I thought it might have been something where he grew up watching him. But... No, no. He, he, so you have that moment, which you're like, yeah, really, John Tavares, you haven't done enough for me? You have to... You have to bow at the altar of Mike Bossy, really? And you have Oposo featured prominently and talking about what a great year he's having, and then they show them on the ice, and Tavares is mic'd up. And it's the game, you know, Nabby gets hurt, and 
he has the five point night and the hat trick and Strom gets his first goal. So he wow. picks, he picks up the puck and he takes it over to Strom. They picked some game to, to mic him yeah. up. I mean it was just it's just so good for the Islander fan. So good. You know, that makes me wonder if in hindsight he was playing with a little extra jump that night, knowing he was being featured. Well they were they were following them for a while. Okay. So that's not the only game that they were okay. they were doing. So he said today, Tavares said today, Tavares, as the narrator keeps calling him. Tavares. Yeah, it's great. You hear Howie Rose like interspersed and saying, Tavares, you know, over to and then the narrator, Tavares is like, can we get Johnny to clarify here? Uh, it's great. It's it's really, really good. And as a hockey fan, the the entire special is really good. <laughs> really good. Cal, I'm, I'm, I'm nuts with hockey. I'm nuts. Well, you know what? The Islanders have been playing well. They've been playing great. You know, they were 10-3 and three in their last 13 games coming into tonight. Right. Which I DVR'd. Don't tell me. I won't tell you what happened. All right. I saw you watching it before I saw your face. Obviously, the Penguins scored. You don't know what I was watching. I know what you were watching. <laughs> what were you watching? St. John's was on tonight. Oh, you were watching the Johnnies, your alma mater? They won. They beat, uh, they beat Seton Hall tonight. Look at you. Trying to get back into it. Having a tough season. Really? They're really going to have to make a run here to, to get into the tournament this year. What's, uh, really? All right. Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's, that's for another night. <laughs> St. John's talk with Brian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll go do that at an alumni gathering. Yes, like you something. did, you've done in the past. I have done that. They are, uh, tomorrow night, WSJU, they're having their alumni show. Oh, and so you're, you're not invited? I won't be there, no. no. I, could, I, I can't even plug the website. I don't know what website they're on now. They've changed websites. <laughs> but by the time you're hearing this, it will have already aired. So, Right. Because they're live. The, um, yeah, the, the Islanders have, and I'm, I'm sort of all in on hockey. It was miraculous, though, that that was the only seven minutes of the Knicks season that I've watched this season. That's amazing. I don't even think I've watched seven minutes this year. Oh, Cal. What a disaster. Barjani tries to take off from literally, like, I'm saying it wrong, I know, I don't care. Um, what, what, literally? No, he literally takes off. No, what are you saying? Oh, you're saying, oh, you're saying his name wrong. Yes. Bar, Bargnani? Bargnani. Soft J? Takes off. <laughs> I think it's a yogging. <laughs> he literally takes off from just inside the foul line to try to dunk the ball. Oh, like Michael Jordan used to do. And comes up at least seven feet short. <laughs> the traveling? Lant, he takes like eight steps. <laughs> no joke. Takes like Cal. It's, it's, it's gift everywhere. No. It's 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 gift everywhere. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I can't wait. He just and he falls and he's uh, he's like on the and he got hurt. By the way, he tore like that, yeah. I heard I heard that. And he the ball like bounces bounces three times and then comes back and hits him on the head. <laughs> as he's as he's like, <laughs> <right. laughs> the ball then the ball goes dun, 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 ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, it's so good. It's so good. So the the NHL thing you gotta watch. I'm gonna watch it. Okay, I want to bring uh, the bishop back in here now. 
Okay. Is he, he's, is he back? He's not insulted. He's super pissed. Oh. He really is. He's really, it's, I hung up on him. I, uh, I don't know we, what happened. I apologize. Damage control. We need to, we need to go into heavy duty damage control here. Does he like Nutella? <laughs> Can I interest him in some hazelnut spread? Is that oh, your style? You, you, you can put that anywhere you want. There we go. I like, I like the Nutella very much. I knew you would. Do you know that I didn't have that until, like, last year? Yeah, I haven't. It, me too. Very recent. I had never had Sheltered? it. Sheltered? Really? It's very good. It sounds like something my mother would get to thinking it was Italian. Nutella. Nutella, Nutella was offered to us as children as an alternative to fluff because fluff was so unhealthy. We never had fluff. Well, geez, yeah, totally. If you're going to, you know, if you're not going to have the good old jelly with the peanut butter, you can't have the fluff. That's all sugar. Here, have the Nutella. <laughs> have the chocolate and the almonds. Yeah, well, my sister and I were basically Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> <laughs> you were the Italian version of Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, pretty you were, much. You were, you were... You were like Hansel and Gretel, all right? <laughs> Spumoni. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel Spumoni. It's not Hansel, it's Hansel, all right? Hansel. And Greta. Greta. And Gretel. <laughs> Wait, which we one is the an entire, We had an entire cupboard in our pantry just for snacks. It was on the all shelf. Right. Listen, Brothers Grimm. Whole... You, right. you, just, you, you, you just use cupboard and pantry. In one sentence. Can't, can't have well, both. The, the, the pantry being the walk-in room. In our house, the oh, pantry was, uh. a, it was a step off from the kitchen. I didn't know you were rich. Yeah, we did very well. The house I grew up in was 800 square feet. Just filled with snacks. <laughs> and it was wall-to-wall snacks. It really was. I should get my sister on the phone right now. <laughs> Eight hundred square feet of of uh, you know cookies and just devil dogs. And... Are you hungry? Are you are you hungry? You got Nutella? Would you like me to make a left? Make... <laughs> Go to the Dorito room. There's <laughs> an entire room for nacho cheese chips. I had a. Uh, we I had were. A... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Please, please tell okay. me more about snack. About we snack, were well, we were a, a sweet, not a savory family. So it was very cookies, entenmann's crumb cake, Nutella, things like that. Twinkies. Oh, <laughs> Twinkies, chocodiles, mostly chocodiles. Oh, we've done this yeah, before. And, Yes. Yeah, well, Cal, Cal you, you need to remind uh, PJ what your dad did for a living. Well, you know, my dad drove a hostess truck for a living. See, it's so. a good thing I didn't have that information as a when teenager because we, we would have rolled them. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't know you, but I hear your father works for hostess. <laughs> so hand it over. Uh. Roll the truck. 
they, did they take Why any money? Why are these kids no. waving me off? No, but they Why took a bunch of money. Why are they waving me off into the bank parking lot? What's going on? <laughs> PJ and his sister with, like, masks on. Let's go! Move! Move! <laughs> Ronald Reagan masks. <laughs> no, no, they had... Don- this to end well, okay? <laughs> they had... PJ had a Dom DeLuise mask on. <laughs> I thought that was Paul Prudhomme. <laughs> uh, let's go. Move, move. Three minutes. Yeah, it's safe to say Nutella was the least of our, <laughs> our problems. I mean, we had a, just a, a problem of quantity. There was so much. I was a pure chip house. I mean, I was. We were the chip house. So you were chip house. It was. It was two old Indian Head Road in Comac, simply known as the chip house. <laughs> chip, chip, chip house. house. I, I told you guys about Charles Chips. Yes. Charles Chips, which was a a, a potato chip guy who had like a route. Oh yeah, guy, he, del- he delivered. He delivered on Staten Island too. Yeah, and we made that guy famous. That guy had a lot of bling. Because of my house, <laughs> no, we, we, we were not. We were not so much a sweet. We'd always have a cake in the house, but if you needed a chip, you come see me. Yeah. All varieties: sour cream and onion, barbecue, potato chips. Always potato chips, right? Potato chips. Scott, have... my mother and my brother were pretzel people. I was. I. I could not. They were. They were chip people first. Scott's weird. My brother's weird. He was a pretzel guy. Nothing weird about that. <laughs> in that no. house, though. In, the, in Chip House, it's weird. <laughs> chip house. A pretzel guy in Chip House is That's right. Tough. He was clearly making a statement. Like, if you're, if you're the, like the pretzel guy in Chip House, you're trying to differentiate yourself from the crowd. Because, really, there were a lot of chips. A lot of chips. Yeah, the only the only, sweets, the only sweets you really I I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you're giving me a snack cake, all right, let's do this. Let's let's just do this. I don't think we've done this. It always evolves into this. <laughs> give me give me your top three snack uh, snack cakes. Top three, you know, uh, Hostess Drake's type snacks. Cal, Cal, you should have this list down pat. I, well, yeah. Which which version do you want? <laughs> what year? <laughs> it got revised ten right. times a year. Do you want it by logo? Do you want it by um, mascot? <laughs> Size of the cake? Snack cake mascot. Paige, get us rolling here. Give me your give me uh, give me one of your top three snack cakes. Your desert, desert desert island snack cakes. Definitely yodels. Yodels are a strong choice. What, you, uh, what, what's the difference between a yodel and a ho-ho? Watch your mouth. I don't. It's not a riddle. I'm just asking you. <laughs> like, why would you pick a yodel over a ho-ho? Because they came in pack to three. <laughs> That's fair. The magnificent reason. I did not see that coming. I thought it was something about the cake itself. Quantity. Quantity over quality. The problem in my house was the quantity. (laughs) That's great. 
okay, so ho hos, Cal, give me a give me a top three snack cake. Orange cupcakes. Come on. Orange cupcakes. See, you 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 give us next level stuff. Like orange cupcakes. Were, it was orange cake with vanilla frost, uh, vanilla filling, and an orange icing on the top. It was a it was like a chocolate cupcake, but orange. This is like. That's okay. <laughs> This is like asking like uh, George Martin's son which Beatle album he likes best. That's a connoisseur's answer. I like it. Right, like you you have inside information. You guys have never had orange cupcakes? Who could get them on the street? PJ. Never. Wow. I remember the eight hundred square foot house. Cal. <laughs> you think I was rolling in dough? The best I can, the best I can do. They weren't expensive. <laughs> they were the same. I could go for the orange cupcake. Be great I if orange cupcakes were like nine dollars. <laughs> you had a mad magazine habit. Uh, wow, orange cupcakes! You're, you see, you're gonna bring us next level stuff. No, I'll. The best I can do there is that I heard of orange cupcakes somewhere. Somebody had mentioned them. Right. You know, I don't know if it, they were like a Yeti. Like, I don't know if I ever saw an orange cupcake. Mm. They were good. I think they might have been seasonal. <laughs> See? Again. What the advantage. Season? Were they Halloween? Yeah. Yeah. No. Fall, no. Like in the orange, fall. For orange, cake. orange cupcakes were for Arbor Day. Of course they were for Halloween. No, fall. Not just, not just Halloween. Oh, they did the whole season. Yeah. They were truly seasonal. Right. <laughs> so did they have green ones for <laughs> They had burnt umber ones for uh, summer. No, they didn't. You know what they did have, and it's not. This is not on my list because I didn't like the snowball. I don't like the snowball. Don't care for it. But they had a green one for St. Patrick's Day. That I knew. That's correct. Okay. All right, so I'm going to give you my number three on the list. Give me yeah. Oh boy. Uh. Uh. uh Oh, that one. <laughs> round, round cake, chocolate. Ring ding. Ding, thank you. Yes. Number three on the list, ring ding. In Hostess right. World, it was known as the King Don. The King Don, yes. <laughs> also okay. the, third, the third fighter in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Right. The King Don. Um, <laughs> now, did, did they have a... Yes. They had one for everything, right? Yes. PJ, did you know this? That, that they had a, an equivalent? That's right. Everything was an equivalent. Well, just makes sense, sure. For the most part. I don't know who ripped off who. <laughs> we don't have those papers. Who's zooming who here? <laughs> <laughs> Who's cupcaking who? I don't know who it was, but... All right, let me, uh, let me get number two, Peach. Number two, number two. Number, number two. two was... I, I, I was uh, a Twinkie fan until the appearance of the Chocodile, and then I went straight into Chocodiles and never yeah. looked back. Chocodile is my number two as well. I love and Chocodile. And I, I want you to know this. What I used to do at um, <laughs> early, early band rehearsals, I used to, to show up at band rehearsal, five or six Chocodiles, and the large bottle of Manhattan Special Espresso Soda. <laughs> and all I would consume for these five-hour rehearsals was this entire super-caffeinated 
coffee soda and chocodile after chocodile. First of all, I can't believe something went wrong with your health. I can't believe it for a second. I was a maniac. And secondly, you can't just... We're going to need a whole podcast for Manhattan Special. Because... Yes. And I love introducing Manhattan Special to people. Like, I explain what Manhattan Special is to my Texas in-laws. Yeah. They they couldn't wrap their heads around it. Like a pink unicorn. They, 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 they could not wrap their heads around it. And then I bought one for my father-in-law. He was like, I don't know if I... And he loves coffee. Well, tell him now that there are orange cupcakes. He loves coffee and he loves... Please, Peach. We don't want to... Come on. There's only so much a person can handle. Loves coffee, loves soda. Couldn't get on board. He's like, I, I, I think this is just too much good. Wow. Manhattan it is special. Too much good. Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Manhattan special is just—it's just magnet. It's all sorts of magnificent. And my brother. Your brother uh, once told me. Your brother once told me that he could see the veins in my neck pulsing. <laughs> that's a good sign, after, right? After I had had a couple of those, I could I could see your pulse. Stop drinking it. Yeah, a, a Chocodile and a Manhattan Special. Well, I'll see you in yeah. the ER. Yeah. You had now the, the five or six that you had were they unwrapped, <laughs> preset? Like you were just ready to no. go with them, or? I no, no, no. I, I would grab and unwrap as I went. But if you know, if okay. this was a drug habit, there would have been an intervention. <laughs> Someone would have tried to stop me. I don't know why there wasn't. <laughs> Sounds like there I don't either. Have been one. I was out of control. <laughs> Hello, my name is PJ. And I have a chocodile problem. Yes, I do. You you don't have any cake on you, do you, man? Do you have any cake? Do you have any cake? I mean, I need the cake, man. Do you have the cake? That's not that I need it, but if you have it, you'll have some. <laughs> I don't have to. You know, but my, num- but my number to- one, I even had a worse problem with. So let's get to that. <laughs> let's, hear, let's hear everybody's. Let's get going here. Cal, what's your number two? Number two, do you guys know the Suzy Q? Of course. Oh, yeah, those were good. Did you ever have it frozen? <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, there he goes again. <laughs> That's number two, the frozen Suzy Q. Have you Q. tried it with gazpacho? <laughs> the reason why I ate them frozen... <laughs> the re- <laughs> There are combos here that we can't comprehend. <laughs> He's the connecting reason, dots. We are through the looking glass here, people. The I really feel like I I'm learning. It. <laughs> it was gazpacho. Can you imagine what I would have bought, brought to band practice if I had talked to Cal first? Oh, man. <laughs> you would have opened up a briefcase. I would have opened up a freezer, and that's my point. I had to eat them frozen because the freezer was filled with boxes of Susie Q's and Twinkies, and everything was frozen. Frozen! That's, that's probably tasty that way, though. That's how we ate everything. We ate everything frozen. <laughs> that's, um... Like, yeah. it, was a, it was a treat when he brought home a fresh box. 
because then we could eat it like a normal person. We didn't have to oh, put I... it in the freezer. <laughs> but then in the in like the freezer, commoner. <laughs> like a, like a, like like <laughs> like you regular people out there. Like a Did you warm them in a toaster oven, maybe? No, no, you never toasted. No, you did. Steak. You did it for. I, I, I too danced on the frozen, <laughs> the frozen Susie Q, uh, conga line, if you will, and it was like, a, like an almost like an ice cream treat, almost like a exactly because it was it was a thick cake. Yeah, it was almost like an ice cream sandwich with a thick layer of cream in between. Right. That That's... of of all of the Hostess cakes, that was the one to eat frozen. Absolutely. Wow. The King Don was really like a hockey puck. <laughs> the King Don, you could, you could definitely take out back and work on going top shelf, without a doubt. All right, Steve, number two. Stefani. Um, I told you, number two is, uh, is PJ's number two. The Chocodile. Chocodile. Yeah, they were good. I mean, just. The, my biggest problem, my, my problem with, hello, my name is Steve. Um, with Chocodiles was at the deli around the corner from my house, which we would frequent, uh, had them for a quarter. The big big orange 25-cent sticker on the Chocodile. And you'd just go in there, you'd throw down a buck, you'd take four, eat them throughout the day. (laughs) Just, you know, just throughout the day. Or band practice. (laughs) Or band practice. Well, you come by my house, you take four boxes. <laughs> right, eight boxes. No, they were they were twenty five cents four each. So boxes. you, would, I would go in there and I'd be like, I have a quarter. I get a chocolate. Like I'd go in there to get you know cold cuts or something for my mother and like pick up groceries or whatever in the little deli around the corner from my house. Yeah. And I'd be like, an extra quarter here. I could eat this chocolate on the walk home. Nobody it's will a, know. It's about a minute thirty walk. I can wolf this down in a minute 30. All right, we, have, we only have two minutes of live time left. Let's get to our number ones. PJ. Because the live audience is riveted. Okay, well, this, this was my traveling snack when I had to go on long drives. The, uh... Oh, I think I know this. You said this once before. Pies. Yes. That's right. You traveling Lays snack. In the wax paper. You buy Love two it. or three, and you throw them in the passenger seat, and they'll get you anywhere. And you didn't go cherry. You didn't go cherry pie. I prefer, they're okay, but I prefer an apple. I like, I like an apple. I like a cold apple, but I yeah. like a hot apple pie. <laughs> and the I glaze to, that was on it kind of crumbled and went all over your shirt, and you didn't care. Yep, I, used I, to heat, I used to heat those up, by the way. Mm. I would 30 seconds in the microwave with a little ice cream? You got a problem. Lemon out of the ice box. Oh, the frozen lemon ones? <laughs> Everything's frozen sure. right now. Lemon. Just because there's so next much to vodka. A small, next to a vodka neat. <laughs> a lemon pie. Snack it with okay. Cal. Cal, what's your, what's your number one? Well, ironically, my number one is the is the Linden's chocolate chip cookies. That is <laughs> ironic. Go figure. Your dad disowned you. Listen, there will never be Linden's in this house. Oh no, he knew the Linden's guy, and they bartered. It was great. Oh man, like trading pelts. Yeah, he'd give them the Twinkies. He'd take the cookies. 
Oh, that's magnificent. It was beautiful. So you were lousy with Linden's as well. Linden's cookies, too. Love that. that was the lunchtime snack. Yep. To this day. Yep. Love them. Absolutely. Three cookies in the... In, uh, two cookies? Two Three. Coo- Three in the bunch. Yep. <laughs> milk with that or no milk? No, of course milk. Okay, we have 10 seconds left of the live show. Here's my number one. In oh. the refrigerator, Funny Bones. No mm. doubt. Oh, it, they have to be refrigerated. A box of Funny Bones stood no chance. No chance. It would not make it through the night. The greatest, the greatest quote I ever heard about me and Funny Bones was, he doesn't eat them, he inhales them. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Uncle Vinny. Okay. <laughs> By Uncle Vinny. He taught me the in-the-fridge trick. Okay. He's like you. You like the you like the. He's Mike Francesa for our purposes. You like the uh, you like the funny bones. Okay, all right. Put them in the fridge. And then and and here's the problem with the funny bones. They come in the packages of two, you know, the little two pack. And then you would be, get a box, and there would be four uh, two packs in there. So it'd be <laughs> two packs record in there. Four of them. It'd be a biggie, and then a couple two packs. So you have eight 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 funny bones in toto. And you throw it in the you throw it in the refrigerator or whatever, and it might have been was it ten? Might have been ten. It didn't matter because you would I would go in and have the first two when they were first chilled. And like twenty minutes later, you're like, you know what? Those are really good. I'm gonna have two more. And then two at a time, right? And then you right you have the two, yeah, you have the whole package. You can't leave one by itself. No, it's a sin, Cal. It's a sin. So then, like, you go out. Like, I'd go out for the night. I'd come in, blah, 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 have a couple of drinks, hang out. Come home. Have a sandwich. Now the funny bones are calling. Now I pour a big glass of milk, and I take out the other three packages. Do <laughs> you line them up like and that? Just line them up. Just here we go. <laughs> let's just, it, let's it, just Let's just knock these down with a huge glass of milk after seven or eight beers. And a, and a sandwich. What could go wrong? Is it any wonder we found each other, Stephen? <laughs> this is why. This, this is, is why. This is why. Um, Funny Bones, by far and away my number one. And so uh, we have our, there, there it is, top three snack cakes. Wow. On New York Sports Talk podcast. Ready to unload. Put it in the ball. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. We're over two hours. It's you know, crazy. the hostess used to put the baseball cards in the back of their boxes if yep. you want to tie them into sports. And you could, you would, yeah, you would cut it out the back of the box. Yeah. I did it a few yeah. times. I definitely did it. All right. Final unloads, boys. Go. PJ. All right, well, look. I passed two jellies on my way to the car tonight. So it's fair to say that I'm going home with a couple of treats in the car. I think I think I'm in trouble. Pray for me. Cal, final unload. How how far away were you parked? You passed two delis on the way to the car. He's in Manhattan. Be thankful he didn't pass seven delis. He's on the west side of Manhattan. <laughs> He, he also passed nine Starbucks and 14 
and he only parked two blocks from work. Right. Cal, final unload. Hey, the Super Bowl is in a week. I hope it doesn't snow. What are we going to do if wow. it snows? No. Snarky. <laughs> Not funny. Snarky. And my, well, we got to do that next week, your thesis. My it's final unload is... Uh, semester thesis. <laughs> right. I have some bad news, guys. Captain and Tennille, after 39 years of blissful marriage, are getting a divorce. And look, if those two kids can't make it work, I just, I don't know what hope there is for the rest of us. Thank you, Captain Neil. Thank you for I the thought memories. it was muskrat love. <laughs> we'll see everybody next week for another Ready to Unload with Cal and Say Pete. We'll probably talk about the Super Bowl. What do you think, Cal? If we get to it. Eh. Maybe. I want to talk about Twinkies. <laughs> we'll see ya. Love will keep us together. I don't think so. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Nailed it.